Heidi. Hey Ari. I am so excited that you're here today talking about a topic that is super relevant. And just to provide some context, we met not that long ago, but it kind of feels like we've known each other for a million years. So I'm excited to have you on today specifically to talk about finding your strong, independent, female voice in the workplace, because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And as a sales coach, you've got a ton of experience selling yourself, finding your voice. So I'm really excited to have you here talking about this awesome topic. Thank you. Me too. I'm super pumped. So just to get us started, was hoping you could share a little bit about what your professional journey has been like. Yeah. So in 2015, I started my sales performance firm called Sales Accelerator. And that's when I was still living at home in Toronto. So I started in for the first year, you know, I was doing sales training, a little bit of consulting, but by year two, I kind of got more confident in what I wanted to offer and started to do like outsource sales management. And that's what I provided for the two years after that initial first year for all my clients that I was working with. When I left Toronto in 2018, to move to LA, I, you know, I really wanted to continue running that business. But when you move to another country, sometimes it's just easier to get a job. And it was just easier to get a job. <laughs> so I took a director of sales role with a company here in Venice Beach, basically helped them build out their SaaS platform. So launched their brand new SaaS business unit, grew it to about $800,000 in ARR in six months. And it was super successful and a lot of fun. That role unfortunately ended in April of this year. And I I was kind of thrown into honestly the same position I was thrown into in 2015, which was do I work for somebody again or do I restart my business? And I decided to do the latter and restart my business just because I had worked for myself for so long. And working for yourself is truly something special. It is really amazing as hard as it is to get a business off the ground being your boss. There's nothing like it. So I decided to kind of relaunch my consulting business and go down that route again. Prior to starting my own business. My sales experience has primarily been in tech sales. You know, when I first started my career, I was really, really fortunate to get a great job with a great company. I got an AE position at IBM and those foundational sales skills and all the amazing sales training that they give you really did like launch my career super quickly and super well and really gave me a lot of necessary core foundational sales principles to kind of guide me through the rest. So I started there, went to a smaller startup after that role, got my feet wet with like the startup life. I was still really young at that time. I think it was like 24 and startups are really unstable and I knew nothing about that world. So I left oh, the startup world. unstable? No. I know. <laughs> so I left the startup world and I was like, you know what? Tech is crazy. I'm out of here. So I left tech and I went into transportation. So I went back into like a big Fortune 500 company. I took an AE role at FedEx. It was great, but it was really boring. So <laughs> I left that and went back into tech but this time with like a more stable startup, well-funded and took a role at Square. So I was in that role on their Canadian team for about nine months. And when that contract ended, that's when I decided it's time to be my own boss. And that's when I started my consulting business in 2015. So I feel like my journey has done this big circle. I started working, ran my own business, worked again, and now I'm running my own business again. So there's been so much learning because I have had to restart a business twice in like the matter of 10 years. So there's been a lot of learning along the way. It's been a lot of fun. It sounds a little bit like a pinball machine. I'm like, 
tech, no tech, then what's next? It's, yeah. It's a lot, but I mean, it sounds like things have just been super interesting and never a dull moment. That's exactly what it's been. Nice. So obviously with your business experience and the growth that you experienced along the journey, it must've been really interesting to figure out over the years how to find your voice in the workplace. So I'm curious to know what that journey was like. To be honest with you, like the journey isn't over. I'm in my early thirties now and I look back to my early twenties when I first took that role at IBM. And when I first took that role at IBM, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't graduate university wanting to be a salesperson. Like my degrees are in economics and political science. When I graduated, I wanted to go work for an NGO or an international organization. Like I wanted to basically become like a public servant or a bureaucrat. So ending up in a sales role was like the completely opposite of what I wanted to do with my life. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to be about. And when I first started, a lot of that inexperience really showed because I didn't know what I was and was not able to do or was and was not able to say. So in the first five years, basically, of me working at all these companies, it was me just kind of like stumbling along, trying to figure out, am I allowed to put ideas forth? Am I allowed to be a loud voice in the room? Am I allowed to be who I am outside of my professional environment? Like that that's the five years crazy question am I allowed to be myself yeah have an opinion here yeah and when you're in your early 20s and nobody really talked about having a voice in the workplace the way they do now it was also not something that was brought to the forefront as being important for young professionals it just wasn't the focus so when I started my business in 2015 kind of like midway through my sales career that's when I really got the first foray into finding your voice and also as a business owner really having to have a voice when you're running your business you don't get the option to be like, oh, I don't know if I can do something. Because the truth is there's nobody stopping you from doing something. It's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you have the freedom, but it's a curse because if you haven't been trained to really exercise your voice or exercise your opinions, then you have to train yourself. So the first few years of running that business, actually, I would say the entire time I ran that business, I was still really hesitant about using my voice. Like I was hesitant about using my voice with clients, even though I knew what I was doing. And I was an expert, I was hesitant about using my voice when it came to advertising my services and what I did. There was just a lot of hesitation. It also sounds a little like imposter syndrome. A little bit because you know, I think about how old I was when I started running my business, I started venturing off on my own when I was 27. I was still not a confident adult at 27. Like I still felt like my 22 year old self walking into the IBM office and being like, oh God, this is terrifying. So, <laughs> there still was that level of, yes, I'm running a business and I have these clients who are paying me because I'm like an expert, but I still don't feel like I am. So all that doubt is being reflected in my voice. When I moved to California and took on the role here at that tech company, I don't know, something shifted. And I think moving and that whole process of moving to another country and like all the courage it takes to do that and that comes with that I think all of that really took a lot of the doubt so when I was in that role it was strange now looking back on it it was very automatic I didn't have instances of being doubtful of my voice or my opinion or anything like that I just went into that role being me and being very confident once I started my business again the second time around kind of re 
rebooting it, I found that all that confidence has followed, which is amazing. So rebooting my business the second time around is so much different than what it was starting it the first time. I'm like way more confident about what I'm selling and what I'm doing. I'm more sure of myself. I'm more willing not to deal with people whose values don't align with mine. And my voice is just so much stronger, but it took 10 years to get here. <laughs> it's so crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> that resonates with me so much. In the beginning, I had a little, almost like an opposite experience where like, I didn't know I should be, you know, fine tuning my voice and figuring out what my voice was. I kind of walked in blind and was like, hey guys, I'm here and I have opinions. Sometimes it bit me in the ass. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I need to pull back, fine tune it, be a little more strategic. And so speaking of communication strategy, I am very curious to know what it was like for you based on your gender and your race, how that kind of played into finding your voice and if you had to be strategic in a different way because of it. I definitely did. And thank you for bringing that up. As much as I was really nervous at the beginning of my career to use my voice, I still did use it. And that's where the learning came in. I used it and I was probably not using it in the most politically correct way or the most constructive way and you know what that's what bit me in the ass especially when I was really young in my career and layering all those other things like race and gender that adds another element of how much people are going to scrutinize your opinions and how much my voice and my opinions were scrutinized taking in those other unconscious biases that people have about gender and race when I think back to those first five years of my career it was just like me stumbling constantly just like running hitting a rock and falling like that, that's how I think of it in terms of being strategic about communication I feel like I learned so much in that first five years about how I communicate and how I'm perceived when I communicate that the back half of my career especially as a business owner I cleaned up my style of communication I was a lot more aware of how other people perceived me when I communicated which also helped me kind of alter my communication style. But even within that, again, when you add in gender and race, there are still barriers that you just got to take a hard stance on. And a great example of that is when I was the director of sales at the tech company here in Venice Beach, I found that my communication style was kind of being like used against me. What I mean by that is when I'm working and I'm in a flow and I'm managing a team, especially a sales team that's extremely busy all the time time, my communication style is extremely efficient. So when I send emails, it's very direct and it's to the point. I think sometimes that can rub people the wrong way, but that's why I'm good at my job. <laughs> and well, let's be real. If you were a man and you were mm -hmm. sending an email in the middle of the day and you weren't super warm and fuzzy, I feel like nobody would question it. Exactly. And honestly, that's another element as well in sales, but also as women, as we get to these managerial positions, positions that I think we all have to confront like we're expected to be warm and fuzzy mm -hmm. all the time but the truth is like if you're doing your job and you're a rock star at it and you're going 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 a you're not going to stop and be like oh I have to be warm and fuzzy and b you shouldn't be expected to I totally agree I remember there were moments in my career where I would write emails and I would call it the bitch filter <laughs> and I would usually go to a friend and be like can you bitch filter this email for me which <laughs> It was really funny and like we would laugh about it and they'd be like, yes, you sound like a bitch. Let me add a couple words in there and make it a little more 
fuzzy and it was like, ha ha ha. But in my head, I'm like, do you think any of the men ever bitch filtered their email? No, exactly. And like, that's a crazy part, right? As women, sometimes no matter how hard we work and no matter how well we do at our roles, we're still nitpick over these tiny little things that to be honest with you, don't matter in the long run. They don't impact goals. There's this perception of women, even if women are managers, that we have to be the moms of the office. We have to be everybody's girlfriend. Like we have to be a certain way. Wow. Crosses lots of HR boundaries. Just as you said that I'm like, everyone's mom and girlfriend. Oh man. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's so funny. I think of the fact that I'm probably guilty of doing it as well, because I feel like we're so systematically trained to look at emails that way. And it's funny. I was with my husband the other day and he was telling me about an email from work. And I realized no one at his company writes high name comma. They just do name comma. And my head, I'm like, Ooh, that's, that comes off really harsh. Like if someone emailed me, Ari comma, is there an update on this? I'd be like, Whoa, Whoa, like so harsh, calm down. And in my head, I'm like, who effing cares if you know they're a good person, they're not a jerk to you. Email is such a tricky thing because it really changes people's perception. And if you aren't, especially in a remote environment, I'm sure the nonverbal communication is so much higher and people are more sensitive to it. And you mentioned earlier that you were aware of how people perceived you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about what that was like, whether it was verbally in person in the office or via email. It's interesting because in the last year, I've had two very opposite experiences of perception. And I think they're opposite because my evolution of the type of people I currently want to deal with is very different than the type of people I allowed in my life a year ago. And so a year ago, when I was working at the tech company here in Venice Beach, the majority of the team was amazing. I would say like 95% of the team, absolutely incredible. The issues were really just at like the C-level management. And I found that because all of the managers were basically always in combat with the CEO. And this is this is my interpretation of what I felt like my perception to the rest of the team was. Mm -hmm. I felt that the perception of the rest of the team to me, I was the angry black woman or I was the angry insert whatever woman. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I was just always a person who was always arguing or challenging or standing up for like what we wanted to do to the CEO. Because for me, I took that role because I wanted to build a company. And I took that role because I had faith in that company and what they could do and what we could achieve and like our amazing team. Like I was there, I was there to build and to like build something amazing. So when I was in my role and I was constantly being challenged by, well, we can't do this or the roadmap has changed literally in a day based on nothing like that for me that got very very frustrating as somebody who's extremely goal oriented and so i tried to constructively challenge but the constructive challenging wasn't even working so that constructive challenging out of frustration just turned into challenging and eventually the challenging just turned into me not saying anything at all it turned into me being silent which was absolutely terrible but i mean it wasn't just me who had that experience there were many other people at the company who also had the same experience so 
So it's interesting how somebody else's perception of you really does impact your voice and what you do with it. But then honestly, fast forward a year later and where I'm at now, I took so much learning from that experience. And my biggest piece of learning was that anybody I work with moving forward really does have to have the same core values that I have, because that was ultimately where that job fell apart. Like my core values did not match the CEO's core values. And it's why that relationship didn't work. It's why that whole structure of that environment and that job didn't work. And now that I'm running my business again, I'm being really conscious about vetting potential clients, not just based on their business, but also based on their value system. And I found that because I'm doing a better job of that now, I'm speaking to people who speak the way I speak. I'm speaking to people who operate the way I operate and who care about the same things that I care about. And I'm finding that even when I challenge them constructively, or even sometimes maybe not constructively, they don't meet me with aggressiveness or they don't meet me with a label. They meet me with like understanding and empathy and wanting to have a further conversation. So I think that because I've kind of shifted my mindset in terms of who I want to speak to, it's made kind of like empowering my own voice so much easier because I'm just, I'm just not in constant conflict. Totally. I'm like nodding my head so much. I feel like I'm going to get a neck ache because there's so (laughs) much of what you're saying that I identify with so much. And I love that you bring up the idea of values. I think so many times people make the mistake of thinking that like, who I am outside of work is separate from who I am at work. But at the end of the day, you're the same person from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. And so it's actually something that I do with a lot of my coaching clients is we do a values assessment to figure Mm -hmm. out what are your core values. And when you're looking for a job at a new company, what are their core values? And are are there enough to keep you satisfied long-term? Because chances are, if the company doesn't identify with your values, you're either going to be there short term, or you're going to be there long term and maybe not be the most fulfilled. And then you also said something so great about the fact that, well, maybe not so great, but the truth about the fact that people's perception of you shapes your voice. Mm -hmm. And I would say for the most part, it can be a bummer. I know that with my personal experience, it was a little bit of a learning curve and I think it helped me. And I may have mentioned this in another episode of Startup Life Uncensored, but I remember early on in my career at my first startup, I was very quick to poke holes and say, oh, well, that's not going to work because of this. And like, have you guys thought about doing it this way? And like, that's a cool idea, but not really. And da, 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 da. I had this totally like oblivious voice of just, they hired me. So I'm going to come in and say my piece. But I was also like 23 and was like, what's a job? I was just not taking it as seriously as I could have. And I remember hearing maybe six months or a year later, like, hey, are you know why you're not involved in a lot of meetings? I was like, what are you talking about? And They were like, people don't invite you to meetings because you're so quick to put things down. And I remember having like an oh crap moment. I need to tweak my communication. And keep in mind, I majored in communication and minored in education and psychology. You would think I would have it together a little bit. But I remember that being such a wake up call for me and being like, wow, I need to tweak how I give feedback. I need to tweak how I give constructive criticism. And as soon as I made conscious efforts, which took a little while, and I actually would ask 
people in the meeting afterwards for feedback, which terrifying, but very effective. It totally helped me shape my voice. And it was a challenge to figure out over the years, how do I change my voice where people won't get mad at me? People won't think I'm being a bitch. They'll actually value what I have to say. And that took a while, similar to your experience, but what a difference it made to realize and maybe have empathy in how other people are perceiving you. So I agree with you that their perception is totally going to change your voice. I think if you go about it from an empathetic standpoint, as opposed to a, I don't want people to hate me standpoint, it can go either way, but it's insane perception and what that does in the workplace. And I would also love to hear your thoughts on communicating with men versus women in the workplace and how it was different. I know for me personally, when I worked with women, I didn't have a filter. I felt like I got to be like emotionally naked and be like, Ugh, that decision was bullshit, but like, we got to do it. So, so what's the plan? And I remember every time I would get in a room with this group of women in leadership at my first startup, I felt like we could solve the world's problems. You put us in a room, give us two hours, everything will be taken care of. Yeah. But when I was in a room with a bunch of men, it was like, how do I say this without hurting their feelings? How do I say this without coming off? Blah, 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 blah. So I'd be curious to hear what your experience was like with that too. You know, what's so interesting. And I think this is because I've been in sales and sales is so male dominated it was actually the opposite. Wow. Yeah. Because when you're in sales and you're a woman, you got to be one of the boys because yeah. you're the minority. It's changed now, but especially back then, sales teams are comprised of men. Management is all men. Like it's super, super rare to see a sales manager that's a woman, even rare to see a sales, like a VP of sales that's a woman. And that, again, that has changed now, but it's still a super male dominated area of a business. So like I had to get used to becoming one of the boys and because Coming one of the boys meant like joking around with the boys. I remember when I was early on in my career, those first five years, I was like getting up every morning and watching sports highlights just so <laughs> I could walk. I could go into the office and like shoot the shit about sports with them because and that that, that, in itself, <laughs> that in itself is clearly why I never went down the sales route because I refuse to watch sports just to make conversation with them. I people. know, right? <laughs> But like, that's what I had to do. So for me, when it came to communicating with women, it was the opposite. I found that I had to be really buttoned up around women, polished around women, and just more mindful of my communication around women. But again, I think that's because sales is just like a completely different beast in a business. And it's just so ruled by men that you really just gotta become one of the boys. <laughs> gotta play the game. So as a female leader, I know we talked about this a little bit, I'm curious to hear more about how you sold your ideas. So obviously you're selling the product, you're helping the sales team, but when it comes to your ideas. How did you sell those within the company and within the office in an effective way? When I was at the role here in Venice Beach, what I did in terms of selling my ideas was honestly, like I said, I was much more confident coming into this role and much more assertive, but I was also mindful to like back all my ideas up with I never just said something without showing numbers or showing data or showing something to back it up. Gotta have the data. Yeah, like I was so mindful because I didn't want to be 
one of these salespeople, who the majority are men who do this, that just come to a table, slap their big dick on it, and say, hey, everybody has to trust me because I'm a man. Like, I did not want to be one of those people. So for me, I was like, I'm going to take a different approach. I'm still going to be assertive. I'm still going to be confident. But I'm going to, like, back it up with facts. Well, and so you bring up such an interesting point. So speaking of big dicks... This topic comes up so much and it's this idea of like big dick energy. And I've heard women, especially women in sales, being like, when you have to be one of the boys, you've got to walk in there with like big dick energy. And I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are on that and when it works and when it doesn't. From a sales standpoint, I totally do agree. Like if you are selling internally, if you're a business owner selling services and trying to get clients, you do have to have that like big dick energy. But like, let's define what that is. You know what I mean? That energy does not mean that you come in with ego. It does not mean that you come in with arrogance. It does not mean that you come in unprepared or with bullshit. To me, what that energy means is you come in confident, you come in assertive, you come in knowing what you bring to the table and you come in with facts. I love everything you just said. And I also just got like a light bulb that we just need to redefine it. And maybe it's like, maybe it's like strong pussy energy. (laughs) It seems way more effective. Right. I love it. And so obviously you have a ton of experience with your own companies and finding your voice in other people's companies. I'd love to hear about your experiences in finding the voice for your own company in order to make sure that you are communicating your brand and your values effectively when making those types of pitches. When I first launched my business in 2015 and I think this was just due to a lack of just like life experience and a lack of like life realizations. I thought that I just had to stick to the business. So just stick to the services I provided and really fleshing out what those services were, stick to the ROI around it. And that's how I went to market. To be honest with you, probably too professional because I was so young, I didn't have to be, but I thought I had to be in order to be this business owner that's only 27. You're 27 years old with all the pantsuits. Yeah, like seriously, like straight up, like that's what I thought I had to be. And now the second time around, I'm like, humanizing my business so much more. A, I realized that because I'm a sole proprietor in this, myself and my brand is the business. Yes, Yes, I have all these amazing expertise and can prove it, but they're not Mm -hmm. buying a service package. So who I am needs to also like shine through the marketing. It needs to shine through everything I say. It needs to be a part of how I sell this. So really quickly, I appreciate you so much for saying that because it resonates so much with me. There is no brand and business. myself. I think this day and age, again, going back to what I said earlier, a lot of people think that they have to be one person at work and one person at home. And this day and age, when we're doing all of our meetings over Zoom, it's like the metaphor I keep thinking of, oh, now that Zoom's over, I'm going to take my bra or take my (laughs) pants off. And in my head, I'm like, emotionally, my bra is always off. I just want to be free and myself all the time. And especially as an entrepreneur, if people don't want to work with me, which sometimes I can take it personally, why would I want to be someone else or sell something else and get the deal? I want to be myself and I want to be authentic. Sometimes it's a great fit and sometimes it's not. Exactly. And you know what? Like authenticity is such a great word because it's such a great point. It goes back to, again, aligning your value system with the people you work with. If you are aligning your value system with the people you work with, you're going to be able to be your authentic self 
no problem. Like you don't have to worry about being Heidi and Ari at work versus Heidi and Ari when we're just like chilling, having a good time. It's all the same person. It's exhausting to not have it be that way. It's super exhausting to not have it be that way. And you know what? I think it takes work to get to a point where you're comfortable being the same person all day. It oh totally does. It takes a lot of like introspection, self-realization, and then kind of confidence to just be like, you know what? Fuck it. If people don't like who I am, I guess there's a problem with me as a human. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. I was literally thinking, I was like, I was thinking of my mom who's in her sixties. And she told me, she was like, on my 60th birthday, I decided I don't give a shit anymore. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, if I don't want to go somewhere, I'm going to say no. I don't need to make up an excuse. I do what I want. And I'm like, well, I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to do that. So I'm going to just start doing it now. Exactly. Exactly. Because even to that point, it's like the people in your life who love you and align with you, whether they are friends, family, colleagues, clients, they're not going to care about stuff like that. They're not gonna care. So I think like the faster we can like wrap our heads around the fact that the right people aren't gonna like stress or sweat the small stuff, it makes running a business so much easier. It makes selling your own services so much easier. It makes starting creative projects so much easier. It just makes everything so much easier. Totally. And yeah. you mentioned earlier the idea of selling yourself as part of your brand. And I'd love to hear if, if you think there's a difference or what the difference was between selling for a company versus selling for yourself. There's a huge difference. When you're selling for a company, you're almost automatically more confident because at the end of the day, there's no personal stake in it. A lot of the times you have no ownership in that company. You're just an employee. You're honestly just another cog in the wheel. There is nothing that personally attaches you to that company. And also selling when you're working for a company, for example, especially a huge company like IBM, just the fact that that you have IBM on your email or your business card or anything, that's all the clout you need. You don't have to worry about generating that. The company itself has generated all of that. Versus when you are trying to sell yourself, whether you're a small business owner or even you know, going into an interview trying to get a job, the only clout you have is what you bring to the table in yourself. And that's scary. Like yeah. that's really scary because a lot of the time, like I think a lot of us think that we have nothing to bring to the table besides like our resume or our previous work experience. And that's not true, but it's a lot more scary when you don't have like a foundation of, I don't have to give a fuck because this is not my company, or I have this big name behind me that nobody can say no to. So right. it's so much more different. It's so much harder selling yourself. Again, you really have to get to a point and a place where again, you have that, I don't give a fuck moment. I'm just going to be me and if people don't like it sorry but it is what it is <laughs> I when I first started my own business not that long ago I know that people probably warned me and I wasn't listening but I wish I had a better idea of how personal it would feel ironic with my background in customer service it took me a long time in the beginning to not take things personally when clients would say it I always came up with this story in my head anytime a client was rude to me to make me feel better and the story was they're going through a divorce so I had lots of clients who were apparently going 
going through divorces because I was like, Ari, don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's just that their wife took custody of the kids. And I'm just like, that's what I had to do to justify it. But now it's like when I'm selling myself in my own business, I'm getting all those feelings all over again that I had when I was 23 years old doing support for the first time. And I've gotten better now because I'm finding my own voice and I'm really identifying what those core values are. And I've really learned and, you know, still always needs tweaking, but I really learned that if someone doesn't want to work with me, it's not a personal thing. It's that we're not necessarily a good fit or they're just not ready for what I'm willing to offer. Exactly. And you know what? You're, you're totally right. Oftentimes when you're like a solo entrepreneur, your business is like your brand and your brand is yourself. Those rejections feel so much more personal. And it's crazy because I mean, I'm a sales professional. I should have like a Teflon field for rejection. And I still don't, you know what I mean? Like when I relaunched my business, my first few losses, I really felt them. And I had to check myself. I had to be like, Heidi, why are you? like sad about this you've been in sales for over 10 years you've been rejected many many times why are you taking this so personally and just kind of like going through that thought process and really just asking myself that question and honestly again detaching myself from what their rejection actually is. They're not rejecting you as a human. You're still a perfectly fine human. It's like you said, it's either maybe their values don't align or whatever it is that I'm selling that they need doesn't align or they're just not ready for it. So like making that mind shift is super, super important because if you take it personally every single time, A, it gets exhausting and B, it's just like emotionally draining. And honestly, it's why a lot of entrepreneurs give up within the first five years of running a business just because they're like, like A, a business is super hard to run, but B, the rejection can be crippling if you don't have like a proper way to deal with it. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Heidi, I would love to hear if you could push restart on your entire career, would you do anything differently? I don't know. I was, you know what? I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about higher education and what I wanted to do when I graduated versus what I'm doing now versus where I want to go in like 10 years. I didn't ever mean to get into sales. I like fell ass backwards into sales, which honestly is how a lot of people end up in sales. So in terms of my sales career and how it's all panned out, I think the one thing I probably would have changed, especially early on, is just being like more forthright about what I wanted in that particular moment of my career. I think I could have achieved like a managerial position much earlier in my career. And I think I didn't because again, that whole voice didn't exist. The assertiveness didn't exist. The confidence didn't exist. So I think if I went back to change anything, that really would be it. But I wouldn't change anything else. Like even given all the crazy instability, I wouldn't even change that because you know what? It was a great learning experience. Got to like work for all these companies, big and small. Like I learned so many life lessons along the way. My only big change was I wish I had the confidence to just have asked for what I wanted when I wanted it. But that's often how life goes, right? Like you look back and you're like, if I could have changed at one little moment, this is what I would have said. And then you realize you didn't even have the capacity to say what you wanted to say back then. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Not only that, and you bring up a good point, and I know it's like every young professional rolls their eyes when someone says this, but you learn the most during the toughest moments. Mm -hmm. And it's such a bummer 
but you're always better for it. It's funny when I think about the idea of a redo on my career, I'm sure there'd be changes I'd make, but because I'm happy with where I'm at today, I think I needed to go through all the crap and all the lessons to get here. But there's one thing that I really wish I pushed for more, and that was more female mentorship. I wish I had a mentor along the way. And I had peer mentors and friends that I would go to for so much advice. But the idea of having someone other than my mom who had been like a badass boss lady to go to and have consistent conversations with. And it's almost like having a manager outside of the company. I think that for me would have been a game changer. And you know what? I actually second that. And it's interesting because you and I are are around the same age. And I feel like in the last 10 years, the whole working environment has really shifted and really changed for the better. But I think when we were young and we were starting to work, because I agree with you, like I I would have loved to have a mentor back then, especially in those early years. But I think just like access to mentorship really wasn't that widespread because again, it wasn't something we really talked about. But I think now what I'm seeing anyways is that access to mentorship has just gone so much better. Companies are making a point to provide mentorship to the younger employees. There's so many organizations that anybody can join and provide mentorship and even older professionals. I think they're just looking back on their careers and also looking at this younger generation going, you know what, I'm retired, but I can help someone. So I think there's been like a huge shift in the mindset around mentorship and how valuable it is. Having somebody that has been through it all and could have provided advice or guidance along the way also would have been crazy helpful because I think I think we wouldn't be having this conversation about struggling over finding a voice if we just had that super strong badass woman being like don't worry about it just do it <laughs> right and I think I, I actually alluded to this in a different episode, but I think people underestimate how many people want to help. I think if there's somebody in the industry, whether you know them or not, reach out on LinkedIn and ask if they'd be willing to have like an informational interview or a virtual coffee or something like that. People typically, what I have found when you ask for help or ask for advice or ask for guidance, they're usually incredibly generous with their time. But I think people get intimidated by the idea of asking someone they look up to if they would dedicate an hour of their time to help them. Exactly. I totally agree. And you know what, that's not to say that you're still probably going to get some no's, but you're totally right. You're probably going to get a lot more yeses than you ever thought you would get. I'm a huge advocate for just asking for what you want, (laughs) because if you don't ask, you shall never receive. Worst case scenario, the answer is no. Exactly. (laughs) So Heidi, just to wrap things up, I'd love to hear what your boiled down shot glass size piece of advice is for especially women or young professionals who are trying to figure out how to find their voice in the workplace? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think just say what you want to say, especially when you're young. It's never going to come out the right way. And the only way to make it come out the right way is to say it and then do what we did, is to just learn how to refine it. That's all it is. It's just iteration. So just say what you want to say. Listen to the feedback iterate and get better and better and better but if you just never say it you're never going to get better so just go for it just say it no matter how scared you are nervous or what the backlash is the backlash is never going to be as bad as you think unless you like say something crazy so like don't say something like crazy or like curse at your boss but also don't be afraid to just share your opinion so yeah just just say it yeah and I also find you know that moment it always would drive me crazy where I'd be in a meeting and I'd have an idea 
it, but I was afraid of sounding stupid, so I wouldn't say it. And then someone else says it, and I'm like, yes, that was my idea. I was thinking the same thing. What I'm hearing from you right now is like, don't wait, just speak up and, you know, obviously be professional and all those things, but no one is going to know your voice unless you share it. 100%. Well, thank you so much for having such a fun animated conversation. I feel like someone could have turned this into a drinking game and took a shot and we said dick energy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe waste it. So hopefully people are not planning on driving after this, after watching this, but it has been an absolute blast. I feel like I've learned a lot. I also just feel like you and I could go on forever. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be on an episode of Startup Life Uncensored. Yeah, thank you so much, Ari. This is amazing. And I'm so glad you're doing this. And I'm so glad you're talking to like women in completely different walks of life on different topics. This has been incredible. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much.